Don't get sideswiped by an international driver's license on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by ConvertKit. To find out how ConvertKit can help you grow your business, save money, and increase your relationship with your email list, head over to servenomaster.com backslash ConvertKit right now. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. As part of my continuing series while I'm traveling, I want to bring up another really, really important topic that we often don't think about when we're heading abroad. And it kind of brought it came on my mind because someone I met with the other day, a young guy, really awesome guy, who was visiting Thailand and told me that he had rented a car while he's here. Now, I rented a car around 10 years ago. In fact, it was either 10 or 11 years ago when I was visiting here in the South. I rented a car internationally and uh, was in an accident. Fortunately, I had taken the insurance, so everything was able to take care of itself, but I was in a very vulnerable situation. So. What I want to teach you about is how to prepare yourself for going abroad and some really important steps to take so that you don't end up getting sideswiped or end up in a very dangerous and precarious situation. You can end up in a prison internationally if you don't take the right steps and you do not want to go to international prison. One of the first things you need to look at is the international driver's license system. See, getting an international driver's license is really, really complicated if you don't know how it works. If you go online and search for international driver's license, you'll see dozens of websites that offer to make you the most beautiful, amazing ones. They look like passports. They're leather bound. And it's very tempting to buy one of those. But those websites are almost constantly in the middle of lawsuits and cease and desist orders because every single one of them is illegal. They're all fake. Only two organizations in the United States are allowed to make real international driver's license. Every single other one's fake. And some of those fake ones they cost 100 to 200 bucks. The real one is around 30 to $35, and you can only get it from AAA. The other place you can get it is from the AATA, which is, I don't know that one. I think, I think AAA owns them. If not, it's the American Automotive Tourism Association, something like that. That's the name, AATA. So it's only these two organizations. So if you're going to get one, you go to the AAA office. It looks like crap. You bring in a picture. It's like a little two-sided piece of paper. It's not fancy like the other websites offer you, but it's the only legit one. Now, This does not make you bulletproof. The second step you want to take is hop over the old internet and look up who's a signatory of the International Driver's License Treaty. There was a law or a treaty from around 1962 or so or 1967 or maybe it's even a little earlier where all the countries said, we'll offer reciprocity for driver's licenses, but you have to have this other piece of paper. So you have to have your international driver's license and your original driver's license together. You have to have both. You can't have one or the other. Individually, they're both worthless. So you have to have your American driver's license from whatever your home state is. Mine would be a Florida license. And I have to have that special driver's license with me. So that's the first thing to understand. Get it from well, the first two things, really. Get it from AAA, and you have to have both together. Separately, each of them doesn't mean anything. That will offer you the first layer of international driving protection. The next thing you need to do is find out what countries are, if the country you're visiting is a signatory, and also what their rules are. Every different country has rules. Some countries say, hey... Every time you come into the country, you get 30 days and you can drive as much as you want on your license. But beyond that, you have to do something else. Some countries let you stay for a year. I believe, if I remember correctly, Japan, you can stay for a year before you have to get a driver's license. And 
every country, depending upon your type of visa, will depend upon its reset. When I was in Japan, I was there on a work visa because I was teaching high school for the government. So that meant my visa wasn't constantly resetting. Whereas you get a tourism visa, you do a visa run, you come back. Oftentimes, that will restart. So where I live right now, it's 90 days. So every time I leave and I come back, I could drive for 90 days if I want. That's level two, understanding these things, understanding the rules. Now, some countries drive on the left, some countries drive on the right. They all have uh, different requirements. Recently, my girlfriend actually took her final driving test to get her full driver's license, which she'd never done before. But we worked through it. We finally got her the uh, permit. You have to get a permit and wait a long time before you can take it, even when you're an adult where we live. But on the island where we live, probably 95% of the people don't have driver's licenses. Most people can't afford the boat to the other island to get one. But because we're foreigners, we don't want to have interactions with the police. We're more vulnerable. We don't want to have that risk in our life. So we take care of all of those steps. And looking at the test questions and helping you prepare for the test, it's interesting how similar in other countries most of the things are. See, road signs are pretty international. Most people, if you've been driving for more than a couple of years, you can figure out 99% of the signs you see in other countries. When she showed me the list of all of the road signs, there were only about one or two that I couldn't figure out right away, but the rest of them were very similar. And there's a pretty good internationalization as far as those signs. But when you're dealing with being abroad for longer, you have to learn the process of getting a driver's license in other countries. And this is something important. And I've done this twice now. In two different countries, I've passed driver's test. I passed the most brutal driving test there is, which is the Japanese driving test. And the Japanese driving test, you have to go through what I can only describe as a course. If you combined miniature golf with driving, that's what it would be like. Things pop out. There's Suddenly there's a family in a row. There's a dog over there. They have this course that you go around and you have to know where all the tricks are. See, the driving test is nothing like real driving. In the Japanese driving test, you have to have your wheel, your left wheel, on the white line that signifies the sign of the road for the entire test. Now, this is a test rule. If you were to drive like this on the roads in Japan, you would kill thousands of children every day. You have to drive where part of your car is exactly where children walk to work. In Japan, somewhere between 80 and 90% of children walk to school when they're younger. Now, for some reason, the driving test, and this is how things are, rules are rule, right? The driving test, you cannot drive the way you do in real life. You'll fail the driving test. If you drive in a way that would keep the children safe in real life, you fail the driving test. So the way the driving test works is right next door to it, this company that teaches you how to pass the driving test has just made a duplicate, <laughs> an exact duplicate of the other course. And you go through and you pay, I don't know, uh, 50 bucks and you take a couple of lessons and they help you practice the course until you perfect their course and you learn all the secret rules. See, it's not about whether or not you're a safe driver or not. In the Japanese driving test, it's simply about can you do every single step on this list exactly the way it's supposed to be done? They're not looking for innovation. They're not looking for your ability to adapt to an emergency situation. They would never let you take the driving test on a real road. It's only a test of can you memorize this course? And I remember, I'm even looking back, it's amazing that I passed it. The first time I, I tried it, I totally failed. So I went and had to take a bunch of lessons. And the hardest part is there's a moment in the course where you're going up a hill that's very steep and you have to stop in the middle of the hill and you have to stop your car. And because I was taking a test on a manual, you have to bring your own car. And because it was a manual, I had to stop the car, pull up the emergency brake, and then you have to do a going up hill uh, start from uh, engine turned off, which if you've driven a stick shift or a manual, and most people outside of America have, it's really hard. It's the hardest thing you can have to do. And it's especially hard when it's on the other side of the road. See, Japan drives on the opposite side of the road in America. So I've passed driving tests on the left and on the right. This experience taught me 
that every country approaches it differently. One of the things that changes is how countries do reciprocity. If you get your foreign driver's license in the right way, you oftentimes don't have to take the test. But if you wait too long, they go, oh, you've been here more than a year. Reciprocity is closed. So there's the period of time where you can drive on your extra driver's license. And then there's the period of time where you can turn that into a domestic driver's license. After that, you have to take the whole test. And it can be brutal. I would never want to take the English driving license test. See, in America, almost everyone passes. I almost killed the guy when I was 16 on my driver's license test. The guy screamed. We were almost in a massive car accident, but it wasn't my fault. I simply hadn't seen the person. The person going the other way was blasting through a stop sign. I didn't even notice him. But it wasn't my fault, so he still had to pass me. In England, whoa, it's hard to pass. Most people, it takes five, six, seven, eight tries because it's so hard to pass the driving test. So every country has these different rules. Now, the reason you want to be on top of your game and really understand how international driver's license work is first, I don't want you to get scammed and waste a bunch of money when you have this international driver's license and the, and the fake ones look so nice. They have pages in every different language and it's supposed to be so helpful and it's supposed to pass on uh, the different rules. See, the classifications on your driver's license are usually where people get confused. It's like, oh, do you have a driver's license for driving motorcycles? You only have one for cars. I see this all the time. People go to India, they go to Southeast Asia, and they have a driving license that only covers driving a car. And then they rent a scooter or a motorcycle, and oftentimes they don't know the rules for reciprocity. They think they have a driver's license, but they don't. Because guess what? I don't have a motorcycle driver's license. I can't drive a motorcycle in America on my driver's license. Why would I be able to do it abroad? This is an area where many, many traveling foreigners leave themselves shockingly vulnerable. They don't understand what they've done. If they get into a car accident, if they get pulled over and they pull out their driver's license, they go, well, this is great. You're allowed to drive a car. This ain't a car. You're going to jail. Or really what it is, is it's fine time. When you get arrested in where you run into the traffic police in these types of countries, you have a period of time where you can bribe your way out of the situation. Now, you might say you have a moral issue with bribing, and that's fine. You only have about 15 minutes to make this decision. Most police officers in these foreign countries, at least in the country I live in, many other similar countries, they're making $100 to $150 a month. They're making nothing. And you get pulled over and you got a couple hundred dollars in your pocket. Once you enter the system, once, they, uh, once backup police arrive, or you end up at the station and they type your name into the computer, they start filling out a piece of paper, the price of bribing goes up almost a hundredfold. So what would have been a $10 bribe could turn into a $10,000 bribe or a $1,000 bribe. And it might not even work at that point because having someone go missing from their records, that's something that will be noticed. So you end up in a very complicated legal situation. And I, I have friends who've been caught up in some serious dumb stuff internationally. And the price of bribing your way out of stuff can be really expensive. I had someone who had to pay $25,000 to get out of a traffic problem because he refused to pay the initial bribe. And once you're in jail, that's when things get really, really expensive. You had to have a you know, lawyer then negotiate, get him out of jail. You don't want to leave yourself vulnerable through ignorance or through taking advice from other people. Most other backpackers, they don't think about stuff. When I was in India, I lived in Goa for three months a few years ago. Every single foreigner had an injury from a car, a motorcycle accident. You see all these foreigners and what you'll notice is when people go abroad, they start to think, number one, the law no longer applies to me. And number two, the, law, the laws of physics no longer apply to me. Would you drive a motorcycle, having never driven a motorcycle before, would you rent a motorcycle from someone who can't afford to maintain it and then drive without a helmet? People who drive motorcycles without helmets die all the time. On my island, most people don't wear helmets. They can't afford them. But guess what? My, my daughter has an awesome custom Hello Kitty helmet that I ordered online for her. It looks really, really cool. It's very cute. 
She goes to school and none of the other kids wear the helmets. Wear helmets. That's fine. My job is to make sure she makes it to 18. My job is to protect her. My girlfriend also has a really nice helmet. I said, get the most expensive helmet you can find. Get something really awesome. Even though, and part of this happened, in fact, I'd love to say I was always perfect with this. We only really reassessed our house safety because we started slacking off and then our dog got killed. So that's when I said, you know, we got to be more strict about safety. We're not, you know, we're living on the tropical island, but guess what? Other people are idiots. Dog getting run over wasn't our fault. The uh, local ambulance ran over it for no reason, right in front of my kids. It was totally brutal. And I had a moment. I said, I have to use this as a teachable moment. I have to learn from this experience. So at least this dog gave his life or something. At least losing our dog would have some meaning. And I said, you know, this is when we got to get helmets for the kids. We got to be more strict. We can't be island living. So even I, you know, living abroad for so long. Now, where we lived before, we lived in the city. We always wore helmets because it was enforced and because you have to. But we started slacking off a little bit with island living. But we've kind of dialed in again. So that that's no longer a problem for us. We really uh, tighten up safety and made sure that we have things in place to make sure that our new dog can't get hurt in the same way. But we had to learn a lesson the hard way a little bit. And so I don't want you to have to learn a lesson the hard way. Just because you're traveling abroad doesn't mean you're suddenly invincible or suddenly above the law. One of the people I was talking to a few days ago, uh, I was talking to someone and they had seen another foreigner buying drugs on the street and it turned out they bought them from an undercover cop. And if you've ever seen Broke Down Palace, you know how that ends. Now, if you haven't seen Broke Down Palace, and if you have kids, you need to watch that. Uh, there's other choices you can watch. Oh, there's one about Turkey called, I think, Midnight Express. There's one called Return to Paradise with Vince Vaughn. There are a couple of movies about this, and guess what? They're the real deal. You do not want to go to international prison, especially for a drug thing. In Thailand, that person can be looking at anywhere from eight years to life. People think it's so cool to buy drugs internationally. Believe me, you'd much rather deal with the United States justice system. Yeah, there's a lot of unfairness, but at least you got a shot. <laughs> at least you can have a lawyer. Understanding other countries' legal systems before you go there is very important. Here's something that most people don't know. In Japan, when you get arrested, you don't see your lawyer for 30 days. Ancillary to that is that 98% of people who are arrested for a crime in Japan confess to it. In fact, they recently had a scandal where a taxi driver was arrested and confessed to a series of brutal murders. Turns out, the real killer was a serial killer, ended up killing 10 or 15 more people. They finally caught that person, and they said to the first guy, why did you confess? And they said, well, the guy goes, well, you guys said you would kill me, but if I confessed, you'd only give me 40 years, so I confessed. Now, mixed in, please think about this. There are a lot of things someone can do to your body that after 30 days won't be there. Interestingly enough, every single day, after a morning of getting smacked around, maybe in a little bit of waterboarding, at every day at noon, from noon to one, you'll get lunch, no matter what. And then at one o'clock, they start right in again. Additionally, the lawyers, the prosecution, prosec prosecutors and judges uh, get paid a bonus for confessions. So the entire system, even though there's a very low crime system in Japan, boy, you don't want to enter it. You do not want to get involved. Your best hope is to get deported. Pray for a deportation because otherwise you're going to be on the other side of the wall. This is why I recommend watching some of those movies that show you what really happens when you start playing around with the law internationally. And it's not just drug laws, and a lot of people mess around with that. I see it with traffic stuff all the time. You get into a traffic accident, you better break out your money and start bribing people. My friend was in a situation where uh, it was the other person's fault. This lady backed into the road and smashed right into his motorcycle in a van, and she almost killed him. He, she started asking for money, blaming him. She was staying in a hotel, and the security guard for the hotel, of course, choosing the local lady over and the guest of his hotel over the foreigner, backed up her version of the story. 
he ended up in court. He ended up at the police station trying to say, no, this isn't what happened. They're lying. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Two against one, you better shut up your mouth. He had to pay a bunch of money. He ended up having to pay, I think, $500 to get out of that situation, which is a lot of money because the initial bribe was going to be around $50. He, at that point, had to pay money to the woman and money to the police. And you can say, I would never do that. Well, they had taken his passport. See, as soon as you interact with the police and you get in trouble, they take your passport. It's the first thing they do. One thing that you want to be aware of is, will the embassy help you? And the answer is, nope. The embassy will help you if the following conditions are met. You are a currently famous entertainer. And when I say currently famous, I mean movie star or TV show star on a show that's on right now. If you're on a show that's in syndication or a show that was canceled five or six years ago, nope. If you're a famous musician, you better be on tour. Or you need to be related to a politician and not a state politician. You need to be related to, ideally, a senator. If you're related to a congressman, you might get saved, but probably not. What the embassy does, the embassy checks in, and they will try to actively stop them from torturing you. That's the one thing the embassy will do. The embassy will come in, or Red Cross will come in, and they'll check you for marks to see if you're getting tortured. But they will not send you home because you're American. They will not help you out in that way. And that's the first thing everyone says is, get me the embassy. And again, watch Broke Down Palace. This is very real. I know that this is a little bit of an intense story. You thought we were just going to talk about the fun and excitement, excitement of getting a driver's license, but you can end up in a scenario very simply. You go abroad, you don't really think about it, and you get the wrong form of driver's license, or you don't have the right, you're in a country that doesn't have reciprocity with American driver's licenses, or you have a car license. How about this? You have a car license, and then you rent an SUV because you don't know. In some countries, they consider an SUV to be a different type of vehicle. So your license, it doesn't cover the vehicle you're driving. You get into an accident. And because you're, you're like, I'm in the right and the embassy will cover me. So you go, I'm not going to bribe these fools. I don't care. You know, I'm in the right. You think that being in the right is enough. And now you're in jail and your children are staying across the street from the prison and you're going to have to spend twenty, fifty, dollars or $100,000 to try and get out. Or you're going to have to try and pay all the, the prison guards to try and escape. You've ended up now down in a pretty serious situation. I don't want that to happen to you. Understanding the way things work in other countries is very important. Every time I've dealt with the police internationally, I've been on my toes. First thing out of my mouth is, this seems like an expensive mistake. How much does it cost to fix this type of mistake? What's the fine? Be aware of the rules where you're going. Do everything you can to do everything right. And that will protect you from level one problems. A level one problem is jail or a four-figure bribe. Now, the next thing you need to be ready to expect is that when you get pulled over in most other countries, you are going to have to pay a level two bribe, no matter what. I, one time, passing through a security gate between one city and another city, right? They have uh, guards sometimes guarding, I don't know, the entrance from different neighborhoods. Neighborhood's not the right word, but like, you know, different bridges or whatever in the same city or different sections of the city. And they stopped me and he pulled me over and he looked at uh, that I was, it said, in a, on the back of an American license, it says, if you move you have 90 days to notify. So you have 90 days to notify uh, your new state or the state where you live if you change address. And he looked at that and goes, well, you, you, he goes, this is, you obviously haven't notified me. And I said, what? First, he looked at the organ donor thing. And I said, no, organ donating has nothing to do with here. Then he looked at the other one and goes, well, if you've obviously been in the Philippines more than 30 days. That means you have to pay this fee. You have to pay a fine. What can you do? We ended up paying a fine of, I don't know, 12 or $13. That's what the fine's supposed to be. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough change. So I had to pay double the fine he asked for. I had to pay double the bribe. And it happens. And you can complain about it. And that's a dumb thing to do because anytime you interact with the police, I mean, you get a ticket in America, it's 10 times more than that fine, right? Or sometimes 20 or 30 times more. When I had to deal with the police in New York, 
that was a lot worse. Uh, my experience with the police in New York was very disappointing. They wrote me a fake ticket because they said I was parked on the wrong side of the road. I was standing under the side, and I said, no, this is right now. The guy goes, well, what are you going to do? I know you're from out of town. You're not going to come back to court to fight this ticket anyways. So that was my experience. So don't pretend that police in other countries are any worse. They all do it. They're all trying to bring in money. It's just in America, there's laws that allow them to do it a little bit more, but it's all the same thing. What I want you to do, and think about this with other areas of your travel, whenever you're going abroad, anything you're doing, do your research and do it right. Don't show up with the wrong type of driver's license. Don't drive the wrong type of car. Don't make these little mistakes. Honestly, what I really recommend is don't rent a car. People think it's so cool <laughs> to go to another country where they don't understand the rules and to rent a car or whatever. Oh man, you're, what are you saving? Nothing. I take uh, expensive taxis. Well, uh, every time I take a taxi, it costs me two or three dollars and I'm taking two, a taxi somewhere and back every day. So I'm spending maybe five, six dollars on taxis a day. But guess what? When you're in the back of the taxi, if he gets an accident, it's no problem for you. In some countries, when people see a white person driving down the road or they see a Westerner driving down the road or they see that rental car sticker down the road, they will throw one of their children in front of your car in the hopes that the child will be seriously hurt, hopefully not killed, but the child will be super hurt in front of your car and you are going to have to pay out the nose. Every country has different rules for it, but in many countries, they try and figure out how much money that child would have earned over its life and that's what you have to pay. So if you run over a doctor, it's way more expensive than if you run over a janitor because they do a mathematical calculation of life. Now that's some countries, not every country does that. They all have different rules, but don't be surprised when you go to a poor country and even if you're driving a motorcycle and someone shoves a pram or a baby carriage in front of your motorcycle or your, even your Vespa, because for them it's a massive payday. Yeah, their kid gets hurt, but they got seven other kids. Now they're rich. I love living internationally. I love traveling abroad, but as I've gotten older, I've become a little more security conscious and I want to pass some of that knowledge on to you so that you don't have to learn the hard way. And if you pay attention to these lessons, you don't have to get run over by an international driver's license. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back tomorrow with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you tomorrow. You've just listened to another amazing episode of the Serve No Master podcast. Make sure to subscribe and we'll be back tomorrow with another amazing episode.